I want to share with you why I'm on this topic. Years ago, and by years ago, I mean 15, 16, 17, 18, in my teenage years, I had this huge dream that I wanted to change the world. I did not know what that entailed. I didn't know what it meant. I just had this dream that God would use my life and I wanted to change the world. I've since grown up. I've gotten married, 33 years of marriage, four daughters. I've planted two churches, helped plant about seven churches. I've been pastor over two. This is the third stint of shepherding a house. And I found myself sort of in life, just losing sight of what does God really want us to do as His children, specifically me. I just begin to pray over, do I really believe that there is a calling on my life and on Robin's life to touch the world? And I begin to pray over this house. What does God want out of us? What are we doing? What are uh, His intents for the corner? And that has stirred a lot of conversations lately over this last year, especially with people saying, do I believe that there's coming an end-time revival? What does that look like? Will God do it again like He did before? And then we call revivals out maybe through history, some that we know to be true. And that those conversations stirred me to really think about this topic of revival. What is it? What does it look like? And in doing that, it has caused me to look at the church here and say, what does God want out of us? The prophecies I've shared about three of them in this series that have been placed over this house are very eye-opening. They cause me to stop and go, okay, are those truly prophecies from God or have they just been made up? And I believe when they're confirmed over and over again from different people, from different places at different times uh, who don't know each other, my intimation is when various people are all praying for this house from various different states and cities who know us from one place or mother or dad or me and Robin or just know what's going on and they text and say, I was praying and I was praying and the Lord dropped this in. Well, after a while, your ears perk up and go, there seems to be a resonant mind of God over this house and what keeps coming out is the resonant mind of God is there's, there's something bigger on this house than just the corner. That God wants to do something beyond just the corner to, I believe, touch the world. The prophecies that have come out of here, that there will be a sound that will come out of this house that will touch the world. I think internally we may think that that sound is music, but I believe that sound can just be the resonance of the Holy Spirit, that God wants to do something. And so it's really made me slow down and go, what does the Lord want? I want to make sure that we're trekking the way God wants us to trek. Already on Sunday morning, I don't know if you know this or not, but Douglasville is having an influx of people move in for various reasons. The city's growing. New businesses are coming in. They're doing renovations on Fairburn, renovations downtown. They're courting new businesses they're bringing in new people. There's new subdivisions opening up. Atlanta proper's kind of pushing people this way anyway because they're so full everywhere else. We're kind of like the next bedroom community of here you go. Here's a bunch of extra people. But in those extra people, we have people showing up every Sunday going, I found you on the website. 
I've been watching your YouTube videos. I caught you on Instagram. Uh, or I've been going around town asking people we're new where to go to church, and people tell me I should come to your church, and we've tried it out. To I've been driving past here for years and suddenly felt overwhelmingly drawn that I needed to come here and see what's going on. And in all of that, there is something happening, I believe, in the Spirit. We don't advertise. We don't put ourselves on billboards. But there is an influx every week of new faces, hungry people looking. So it brings this to really resonate that what we're doing here, and this is why we've shifted. We shifted Wednesday night because I really felt overwhelmed to not just have teaching only, but that this would be the seedbed of what God wants to do. And then in this room on Wednesday night, we would put out into the ether of the Spirit of what God is calling us to do so we could pray it out. Because I do know this, whatever God does, it seems it is always birthed by prayer. And so that's why we've asked Michael to come every week, and that's why we just have a worship time. That's why we have prayer to just begin to birth what God is going to do out of prayer. And it seemingly this has been, I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it. That it's just a refreshing to go, okay, God, if you have something for our church, let us be responsible to pray this thing out. So what I'm attempting to do is give you what I believe about revival and what I really think it is. And I'll do that tonight and then tomorrow or next week we will take it even a step further of what does it look like and how can we parse that out. So here's the thought. This has been every week. God's expectation of position placed upon those who belong to Him is our definition of revival. We've always said this, that revival is God trying to move humans up under His wisdom. It's real easy to get emotional, and you can be emotional for God but not have His wisdom. And it's a big life change when you live His wisdom rather than live your emotions. And so we've taken, I think we're at week seven here, so we're moving through pretty quick. This is what we've landed on, that this expectation of position, we've gone through the Old Testament, the expectation of God position us is the church. God is always working to build the church, Jesus said, and the church has been eternal in the mind of God from the beginning of time. And so what we could say, I think it would be fair to say this, we could say that God is not trying to have revivals. God wants to build His church. And so if I can, if I can kind of shift my thinking from the word revival to build His church, because we do know Jesus wants to build His church. And typically we use the word revival to mean something real special is happening at a location. So we say, hey, there's revival happening at Believer's Church. Well, we would mean something great is happening. Healings are happening. Lives are being changed. You should come and see. But if I could just narrow that down to say we, we are do best to think that revival means that God's kingdom, government, and I've got the four words in the middle, uh, His government, His expectations, purposes, and results are being revived in our life. So if I want to say as Mark, does he live a revived life? Because I would think, well, I don't need to live in perpetual revival because that would mean I'm thinking 24-7 go to a church service. But if you ask if revival is building the church, 
then it's easy to ask the question, is your life being built consistently? Is there something about His government expectations, purposes, and results that are building themselves in your life 24-7? You're becoming part of this church that we call church. So let's jump in tonight. I think it'll be good. It'll challenge us, and then we'll bring Michael up, and we'll pray this thing out together. I go to the book of Acts because this is where the culmination of the eternal mind of God begins to birth itself. Uh, we call it the birth of the church, but church was birthed in the mind of God in eternity past. This is what I would call the seed of God's mind being planted in the earth. And so here's what's interesting. When we say book of Acts chapter 1, we're literally about to see God's wisdom from eternity past. And God's wisdom is going to become an object lesson. God's wisdom only held in His mind. Paul would call it a mystery. This revelation hidden within the mind of God for, from the beginning of time is now going to be on public display. And God is going to bring it out into the open which is why if we get there, not tonight, but in the future to Acts chapter 5, the, why there's such the tragic end to Ananias and Sapphira when they really weren't doing anything, quote, that bad. But it's because we're, we're getting thrown into the wisdom of God. So verse 9 of Acts 1. After saying this, this was Jesus talking to them. Jesus was taking up into a cloud while they were watching. Those are the disciples standing on the hillside watching Him ascend up into heaven. And they could no longer see Him, verse 10. And as they strained to see Him rising into heaven, got to love this, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. So it's probably an emotional moment. They've walked three years with Jesus. They've buried Him. He's alive. They've spent 40 days with Him talking about the kingdom. They're on a hillside. They're probably like, yay, we're ready to take over. Let's go take Rome by storm. We have a dead guy that's alive. And they're asking Him the question, is it now, right? It's now. We're going to take the kingdom now. And Jesus is like, no, nah, not yet. And then every, <laughs> every hope that you have, and you know they felt giddy. They finally felt like we were right. It wasn't a conspiracy. He is alive. Their, their team is winning. And then all of a sudden, your hope and your hero floats off into the heavenly realms. And the Bible says that they're just staring, standing there, staring into heaven. I don't know if they were staring out of giddiness or despair. Because you watch the hero of your fate go up and disappear into the sky. The angels say, men of Galilee, why are you just standing here staring into heaven? And my answer is because that was where we put all our hope. He was everything. I left my family for three years to follow him. I, I, I took a big leap of faith. I've been embarrassed. I've been spit on. I've been persecuted for him and he just disappeared and I think maybe the reason they're standing there is they're probably thinking he's just going to go up there, get something, and come right back. So he's going to get a sword, a horse, something. I, I, mean, I, re I really do think that. I think they were already asking at this time, are you going to set your kingdom? And he's like, no, this is for the Father. And then he disappears. So they're probably thinking, well, he's probably asking Dad, is it time today? 
So they're waiting on a horse to come or a camel or a donkey or angels to appear. I know whatever they're staring at, they're, they're staring in expectation. I don't necessarily think they're staring in despair. I think they're staring in expectation because they want something to happen. But here's the thing. What they want to happen is not going to happen the way they want it to happen. Because what they want is for him to come back with a sword and go take over Rome. And let's rule the world with this Jesus King. And so the angel says, look, stop staring in heaven. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday, I guess they don't know either, someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. They all met together. They end up leaving. They go get together. They all met together and they were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, which is interesting that she's there. So I don't know what she's thinking, but her son is gone. Can you imagine birthing a son, watching him beat a son, burying your son? Your son comes back from the dead, chats with you as a mother, and then you watch your son leave again. And so I think she's in expectation for my boy to come back. I just want to see my boy. I don't know if Mary's thinking build the kingdom, church. Nobody's thinking church. They have no clue what this is about. They just are praying together and they're united in prayer in the book of Acts and they're, they're waiting on something to happen. They don't even know what it is. So I wrote these things down as a thought. Number one, they talked with Jesus. Pretty clear, they're having a conversation with Him in Acts chapter 1. They're chatting with Jesus. Must be a good feeling. Number two, they talked with angels. That's pretty supernatural. I've never chatted with an angel to my knowledge. But that had to be a pretty emotional time on a hillside. You're chatting with the Son of the living God. You're chatting with angels. They talked with each other. What do you think He's doing? And then they also talked with God in prayer. If we're not careful, we would define this as revival. It's experiential. It's an encounter with Jesus, an encounter with supernatural things. We, we're in community with each other. We're chatting with God. But if that was revival, if that's what God considered church to be, if this, was, this would almost say what church is, and it's not even birthed yet. It's not The seed is not in the ground yet. But yet these people are talking with Jesus. But it's not the eternal mind of God as church. They're chatting with angels. But it's not the eternal mind of God yet. They're in community with each other. And they're praying. There's a lot of religious things happening. But this is still not the end. And a lot of times this becomes the end for many Christians. I just want a relationship with Jesus. I want supernatural things to happen. I want to get in a B group and I'll pray and ask God to do things. And the church begins to do that, but we're really not accomplishing what Jesus' intent is. This is why they could just sit on a hillside and stare because it is a great place to be. Because it's emotional. It's, uh, it's very meaningful. It's connected to an encounter. But I wrote this question down. But the question is, is the church multiplying? 
Is the church multiplying? Because I'm starting to find there's a lot of religious things we do, but is it moving His church to be built? Or are we just content to just have these experiences for self, but never thinking beyond self? Because here's what we know. I don't think they're thinking outside of self. I think they're thinking, are you coming back? Am I going to sit with you or him? Who's going to sit with you? Because that's really important to us. So important, we ask our mom to come hit you up about it. I'm not saying that that's altogether right, but I, I am thinking they're staring in heaven thinking there's something for us. And if we're not careful, church becomes very introverted and we become very closed and we only exist in church for our own experiences. I only come so that I can have an experience. I can have my prayers met. I can get goosebumps. I can hear His voice. I, I, me, me. Nothing wrong with it. But at the end of the day, you kind of feel like an angel wants to show up and go, is this all y'all do? You just come and talk to God and... He talks back to you and you get giddy and you post how wonderful the message was. Is that all we do? Because that's what that angel is kind of intimating is there's more. And so we go to Acts 2 and we start pulling out the more. We're going to spend several weeks in the chapter here. When the day of Pentecost came, and here's what I've been teaching, here comes the eternal wisdom of God being birthed out. And when the eternal mind of church that's been in the mind of God, Ephesians 3, from eternity, what is the first sentence of the chapter that's going to birth the seed of the church? They were together in a place. That God just didn't let them all sit at home and go, well, I'm just going to do what I do and I'm just going to make all of you giddy. No, you're all going to come together You're all going to get in here in this little square we call church. And in this place, I'm about to do something. So what we begin to understand about God is that God wants to build His church from something that happens inside a place to the people that are inside that place. So... What we have to ask is in this, we would call it this place called the church, is that there needs to be an expectation that people inside this place are having encounters with God. You should be having an encounter with God. He should be talking to you and ministering to you because anytime His people come together, His Spirit is there and His Spirit wants to move and talk to us. Verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and now it tells us where they were. It filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And in this group, they all start having this very supernatural experience. They have a supernatural experience where they can't even define it. Nobody really knows what it is. It's it's never even been something we can say, hey, remember when? This is brand new. And the entire house where they're gathered, that, that is the place 
there's that green box around whole house and inside that green box, supernatural things start happening. And as those supernatural things start happening, their lives become totally, radically shifted different. Now, if I'm not careful, this becomes revival. Oh my God, you should have been there Sunday. It was incredible. God showed up. God showed out. The entire church was just, a, oh man, it was hopping. And man, we saw so many people get blessed today. I, I love that. But if this was what church was, there would need to be no verse 4. We could say this is the mind of God. A bunch of people gather in a house and then try to get something from heaven to happen so that we can have an experience. And there's a lot of that in the Pentecostal church, especially where we gather together and we really want God to do something. We become desperate, and that's good. We, we want God to show up and show Himself strong, but it keeps going. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all began to speak in tongue, another tongue, as the Spirit enabled them. Now here's what's interesting. Whatever's going on in the house, remember this is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of men. The sound, the fire, the wind, the house, the togetherness, the expectations and the perceptions, whatever we say of that day, this moment, whatever the mind of God was, He wanted everybody in the room to be filled with it. It wasn't optional. It wasn't like, I think I'll take 50% with an egg and a biscuit. You got it, you got it all. Everybody in the room got a hundred percent all. Now that is the mind of God. The mind of God is not just two people get it and the other 98 don't. It's that everybody gets it, everybody gets my power, everybody gets enabled, everybody gets filled, everybody... Why? Now the reason God wants everybody filled and everybody enabled by the Spirit is because what He's going to do, it's not going to be for the gathering. What He's going to do is going to be outside the gathering. This is why Jesus said you must be filled, not so you can gather. You must be filled, not so you can have good services. You must be filled so you can witness. Now in that becomes the challenge because what we start understanding about revival is many Christians are thinking revival is a bunch of people coming to our church and having encounters. A bunch of people coming into the house and seeing supernatural things. Uh, it, it can get so weirdly supernatural that Paul actually has to write to a church and go, y'all have gone too weird. We're weird, y'all are too weird. Because he says to the Corinth church, because they were, they, they were fine to come to the house and to the church of Corinth. So there, there's once we kind of get into this thing, what happens is 
people begin to gather in the house to have supernatural experiences, but it becomes very emotionally selfish. And Paul has to say what's happening is people are coming into this gathering from the outside and they think y'all are off your rocker. They think you've gone nuts because you're not considering why this power and gifts were given to you. They weren't given to you so you could be selfish in the house. They were given to you to multiply God's church. So here's what's interesting. If, they're, if these, this enablement is given to me to multiply the church and the devil knows that that enablement will multiply the church, our enemy has a great thing to do. Number one, teach people there is no enablement or power. It's passed away. So that nobody is supernaturally enabled to go out into the world and witness. Or number two, lie to you that the reason you have the power is so your devotion life can be better. And so you can have crazy church services that aren't boring. And so you can run and shout and jump about and be slain in the Spirit and go, wow, God showed up. But So there's two extremes. There is no enabling power. We're kind of on our own. The gifts have passed. And then we're all just off our rocker and uh, nothing's really happening. It, we're just having fun services. Now the, remember, this is the mind of God being downloaded. What would the mind of God want? All of them were filled, all of them spoke, all of them were able. I wrote these things for revival. Number one, revival isn't simply personal spiritual experiences. Just because we're having spiritual experiences in a room doesn't mean we're in a state of revival. Because we can work it up. We can have altar calls and people get slain in the Spirit and we cover them with blankets and we go, God is here. And I go, yes, He's here. And these spiritual experiences are good. They're, they're fun to God to touch us. But if, if we walk out the door with, well, that was a great service and we, we kind of dust ourselves off and we wipe the sweat off and we post how great the message was and walk out the door, but as soon as I hit the door, I don't carry the enablement into my 50 feet. Was it really revival? Because if I'm not owning my 50 feet, I've never entered into a state of revival. I'm, I've only entered into a state of spirituality. So what happens is churches become spiritual and we call it revival because a lot of stuff is happening in the room but it's not true revival because the people revived did not take the power to witness. We use the power for selfish intent. I want to be blessed and changed. Nothing wrong with it, but I will say it's not for personal experience. Let's keep reading. Verse 12 of chapter 2. The baptism of the Spirit, we call it, is poured out. They begin to speak in tongues. The city's in an uproar. And, well, people hear it, verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, well, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've all just had way too much wine. So already there's something really spooky, supernatural happening to this group of 120 people. And in this group of 120 people where weird things are happening spiritually, 
that have never happened before, it does cause the outsider to go, what is this? We've never seen this kind of thing before. And what happens is Peter begins to teach. So I wrote this one down. Revival isn't just exciting gatherings. Because that was a pretty exciting gathering. Fire burning on your head. Speaking in another language. Everybody's like, dear God, what was that? This is incredible. So revival doesn't just mean we had an exciting Sunday. It was packed out. You should have been there. Again, those are wonderful things. But is that the goal? And my answer is, no, it's not the goal. Because the goal is to build His church. Now, that means I need to be built. I don't need to be weak. But the goal is I want to build my church, not just pamper my children. And if we're not careful, we use the Holy Spirit to be bottle-fed and pampered by God rather than empowered by God. We become enabled to just sit and let God do it all versus, oh no, He has empowered me to go. It's one of the things I asked years ago when I asked a room of about 200 people. I said, those of you that are followers of Jesus, how many of you have won somebody to Jesus? By that, I mean shared your faith, and by sharing your faith, they became a new believer. In 200 people, one person raised their hand in a year. In one year, one person in a room of 200 people that were claimed to be a Spirit-filled church and the gifts of the Spirit working, one person raised their hand to say, I've won somebody to Jesus. Now, would we all not, if we were a business, and we said, we've only got one new client for the year, would we not think, uh, we might be behind the game here, fellas? Or are we just content that we're selling enough coffee? I'm content, I'm selling enough coffee, I can drive my car, I can run my business, I've got my employees, business is good but we're picking up no new clients. That's okay. We've got enough right now. We get the people that hate Starbucks to come to love our coffee. We're, we're, we're changing coffee snobs around, but we're not getting any new coffee drinkers in. We would need to ask in a business model, are we okay? Well, could we not ask in a church like this, if I ask you and poll the room, and you, you judge your own self, how many in the room tonight have led someone who did not know Jesus to the life of Jesus in the last year. And if across the room, we would say, no, no, and no, we're just hoping people come. We're just hoping people come in the room and hear Mark teach and get born again. Or, or I am praying silently for my coworker, but I've never said anything to them. I'm just praying that they find Jesus. I don't even know if they know Jesus. I'm just assuming they don't then we would say that probably many Christians are very content to have personal spiritual experiences and an exciting church to go to. But really, is that revival? Let's read on. Verse 40 of Acts 2 states this, With many other words, Peter warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and here we go. Oh, man. I'm going to end right here. And 3,000 people in one day 
came into the body of Jesus Christ. And you know why? They came into the body of Jesus Christ because somebody who had an experience stepped out into the street and said, let me tell you what he's doing. And they became a voice. So that what I believe is this. Revival is increase to the body of Christ through you telling other people. Revival is not how wild it is in here. Revival is the boldness of those that have been revived to go say something. Because what happens, I'm going to pick on Sam, what happens if, this is strange, I'm not asking everybody to be Sam, but what would happen if all of us took that mentality that any human on the side of the street is potential to be in the kingdom? Because he's always saying, I found somebody at Kroger and told them about the Lord. And I'm like, dude, I just went and Kroger to get a donut. I'm not even thinking about winning the Lord. I'm behind schedule. I don't have time to stop and go, do you know Jesus? I'm on a Google calendar. So I don't think that it's God's mad at us. I'm going to ask Michael to come on and get ready. I don't think that it's God's mad at us. I don't think that God cares that we have a Google calendar and a busy day. I think I would just, tonight's message would be, what is revival and it's your life becoming a voice because you've had an encounter. And when you can't, watch, when you can't shut God's people up, His house explodes. When you want, and I'll say this to you, it is marketing 101. Adults talk about what impresses them. Because nobody's out there going, oh, you should tell people about that new car. Oh, you should tell people about that new cup of coffee. Oh, you should tell people about this new food you're eating on your date night. We talk about naturally what impresses us. So I would think maybe the reason one person out of 200 raised their hand that we're telling the story is because somewhere in all of our experiences and gatherings, we're no longer really impressed with the message. And is my life so impressed that I just have to tell somebody? Bow your head and let me pray for you.